So I want to say thank you to everyone who uh, prays for me, especially surrounding Sunday messages. Um, I'm so grateful. And the last two weeks have been pretty dicey. Uh, We've had sermons on sex and drunkenness. Um, And today, we're going to talk about wives submitting to your husbands. Uh, So there's a high probability I could be tarred and feathered and run out of town this afternoon. So if you don't see me, you know what happened. Um, You know, if you throw in my message at the Love Your City conference on Friday about discipleship, you might say I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, I'm going to talk about tithing next week. (laughs) Uh, No, just kidding, I'm not. Uh, I really can't avoid it. Uh, because this is one of the reasons why I like to walk through a book of the Bible, because what's in the text is what we talk about. And I don't cherry-pick our messages, uh, so don't throw things at me today. Let me first say to you, as we're talking about husbands and wives today, uh, that if you are with us and you're single, uh, this is still pertinent to you, because all Scripture is God-breathed for teaching, training for us, and furthermore, The items that Paul really spells out for husband and wives, submission and giving of yourself, laying down your life for another, is actually something we're all called to. Nobody said amen. Amen. There we go. We're all called to that. Submission and laying down our lives. But ladies, you're first. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is a beautiful passage, and I don't just say that because I want my wife to submit to me. It's beautiful because when she does, it points to something bigger. Wives submitting to their husbands corresponds with how the church is to submit to Christ. The way we live our lives matters. It matters. Husbands and wives and singles who can even more devote themselves to Christ, as Paul says, and Paul did. We need to remember that our lives are on display. They're a display of God's glory and grace. I remember a sermon in particular that Brother John shared several years ago about a display window at a department store that he walked in front of. And in that window, on display, was what was being purchased, could be purchased in the store. Now, guys, uh, men and women, uh, singles, married couples, young people, we as followers of Christ are on display. We are in a window that somebody is looking in, and they are watching to see exactly how we live our lives. And they want to see what we do, not just hear what we think. Yeah, good. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of men, a lot of people, throughout history, have been more chauvinistic than chivalrous. 
And they have misused this verse to devalue women rather than cherish them. And that's a shame. That is not what Paul intended. So we oftentimes, when we look at these verses, need to restate what Paul is actually saying. Because there's a lot of cultural inference as to what he's saying. And I want to try to be as true to what the word is saying to us as possible. Let me first say that what he doesn't say. He doesn't say women submit to men. He didn't say that. And under no circumstances does he permit there to be abuse of any sort. And when there is physical, emotional, verbal abuse, that is a whole different story than asking a wife to submit to her husband. I'll tell you something else it doesn't say. Girlfriends submit to your boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Listen, single woman, you are not under the authority of the man that you may be dating. You're under the authority that you have submitted yourselves to, and that is first to the Lord and then quite possibly to your own father or quite possibly to a pastor, but you are not that boyfriend's property, so don't act like it. He does say, wives, submit to your own husbands. You see, if you're a wife, you don't have to submit to Wade. Well, unless you're Christina. All right? So let's just be clear here. We, uh, men have used this to dominate women, and that is wrong and it's unscriptural. And we have felt misogynistic in so many areas in the church, thinking we're justified for being haughty and being in charge when we're not. I want us to remember that women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates the highest of regard for women. And he recognizes their equal standing before God. And Paul backs this up. Yes, I know Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, but he also wrote this letter to the Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Both Jesus and Paul insist that women and men are equal in the sight of God. And considering how women were commonly treated in ancient times, you realize just how radical this message is. It's amazing that it was revolutionary in that time and Throughout history, men have tried to revert back to something previous to that, as if we could suppress and dominate women, and that is not biblical. Now, I know it's not popular these days to talk about submission, but I need to say to you, as followers of Christ, and I don't infer this on those that are not following Christ, okay? I'm not putting my, uh, my values and principles of a Jesus follower on those that are not following him. I, okay, don't get, be careful, Chris. All right. We need to remember that we are all called to live lives of submission. If you're in Christ, you're called to be submitted. 
Paul said it earlier. In just one verse before verse 22 that we started reading today, he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so none of us except Jesus get to be the boss. James said it earlier, Jesus is king and we are not. And so men, just because you might get the privilege and honor of your wife submitting to you, don't let it go to your head. You're not the boss. Jesus is. We're to submit each of us who are in Christ to God himself, to each other, to spiritual and civil authority. Young people are to submit to those who are older. Children are to submit to their parents. And yes, wives are called to submit to their own husband. Submission is the way of the kingdom. It is the Jesus way. You know how I know that? Because Jesus was submitted. He shows us the way of submission. He doesn't ask something of us that he himself did not do. He was fully submitted to the Father, entrusting himself to the one who justly judges. Even while others despised and rejected him, mistreated him, mishandled him, misunderstood him, Jesus still submitted to the will of the Father. And as a result, the gospel was revealed to us. We have the gospel because of Jesus' willingness to submit. Now think about that. Is it possible that your submission when you don't really want to, or it goes against the grain, could actually lead someone into the kingdom of God. We're on display. You're in the window somewhere. Somebody's watching. What will they see? Now, I can imagine that this is very difficult for some, especially if your husband is not living up to his end of the bargain. And trust me, I'm about to get to that. Um, But remember, wives, that in your submission, you are committing yourself to the Lord and you're trusting him to take care of you. This is not a two-party submission situation. There's always the Lord involved. He is there. And your submission is not just to your husband. It is unto the Lord, trusting that the Lord will give both you and your husband what you need. Do you see how God's glory and grace could be revealed in that? Oh, I do. God is trustworthy, even when your husband is not. I like what Abigail Dodds wrote. She said, In this transformative role, whether single or married, a woman mimics her Savior. Like him, she submits to another's will, and also like him, God uses her to take what was useless on its own and shape it into glory. Dirty things clean, chaos turned to order, an empty kitchen overflowing with life and food, children in want of knowledge and truth, and a mother eager to teach, a man in need of help and counsel, and a woman fit to give it. Friends and neighbors with a thirst for the truth and a woman opening her home and heart to share it with them. How beautiful.
I'm trying not to get off my notes, but I am so tempted to. So that's women that are wives. Submit yourselves to your own husband. Now, boys, buckle your seats, because here we go. It's going to get rough. Uh, you might get uncomfortable. Somebody lock the back doors. <laughs> Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, not as their, or as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Boy, is it. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul holds up the standard for husbands just as he did the standard for wives, and it shows us how Adam and Eve were supposed to have been doing it in the garden. Uh, but we know they didn't do so well. Eve chose to believe the serpent's lie and questioned God's goodness and assumed he was holding back his best for them. Rather than be a life-giving helpmate to Adam, Eve invited him to join her in disobedience. Rather than leading Eve to trust God's word in the first place, Adam joined her without objection. And when God came looking for them, and he did, Adam was anything but manly. He shirked his responsibility and he shifted the blame to this woman whom you gave me, he said. I cannot believe the audacity that Adam had to say that to God. It was this woman you gave me. I just shudder. <laughs> but I have a feeling I've said just as stupid things in my life. And the woman now all of a sudden decides to follow her husband's leading. I don't know why she didn't do it before, but she follows suit. And she now turns and blames the serpent. And with that began the unraveling of marriage, how it should be. I listened to a podcast by Dr. Anthony Bradley, The Anthony Bradley Show. And I highly recommend it, especially to any Christian man. He interviewed Pastor Jeff Hemmer, who is the author of a book entitled Man Up. And I would dare say that it is the best book on godly manhood that I've ever picked up. I'm not through it, but I'm into it. <clears throat> and a lot of what uh, Jeff and, and Anthony were speaking about in this podcast is what I'm going to be sharing with the men here in just a few moments. 
You see, at the beginning of all that we know as recorded in Scripture, Adam and Eve messed up marriage. It took the incarnate Jesus, God become flesh, to put us back on the right path. You see, Jesus is the second Adam. Also has a bride. We call it the church. And just like Eve, the bride of Christ was created out of man's side. Hemmer said, on the same sixth day of the week, God caused deep sleep of death to fall upon the new Adam. And out of his side, God extracts the source material for his bride. This time, not a rib, but water, water and blood. Instruments by which God sanctifies and purifies a bride and presents her to the man. When you look at the whole of the Passion Week, the truth is, is that it mirrors the pattern of creation you find in Genesis 1 and 2. And the fact that on the sixth day this happened, both in the week of creation and the week of the new creation, is incredible. God is making all things new in this new man. And as a part of his restorative work, he is forming for his son, the new Adam, a bride, the church. So when Paul discusses how it is that husbands are to love, his, love their wives, you understand why he keeps going back and forth between a man and a woman as husband and wife and Jesus, the new Adam, and his bride, the church. And Paul is going back and forth as he spells all this out for us. Paul discusses how it is that husbands are to love their wives. And you know what he points to in describing that? The cross. He describes Jesus on the cross dying for his bride. He describes Jesus having the ultimate good in mind as he sacrifices himself. Now, how does that play out for us as husbands today? Well, maybe, just maybe, you will, husband, get a chance to physically lay down your life for your bride. Take the bullet for her. It's possible. I hope you would if that was ever, if you were ever called upon that once in a lifetime sacrifice that you would step up. But let's be honest. A lot of men would. Um, they would sacrifice themselves to save others. It's kind of a part of the masculine DNA for men to do that. They're not always the smartest, but they tend to be pretty brave when most moments occur. Um, it's like when a little boy defends his sister or mom. <laughs> like when my wife took our small children when they were little to be vaccinated. And she took uh, the three older ones. Emily wasn't born at the time, but our son Ben and then Katie and Grace. And so they all had to be vaccinated. And the first one was Ben, of course. And so the, the, the nurse gave Ben his shot and he cried. It hurt. He didn't like it. But when that nurse started after his sister to give her a shot, he went into fight mode. And Donna had to restrain him while he was screaming, I'm going to tell my daddy on you. 
Little boys, you don't have to teach them how to defend their sisters. They just, something in them does it. Now, I, I realize that, that women also defend what is theirs. We call that in our household the mama bear mode. And you don't mess with mama bear. But in most families, you don't mess with daddy bear either. Overall, we know that men are born with a primary, with a primary drive to protect, to defend, to fight for what is his. While women are primarily born with a sense to nurture and care for. And those things, by the way, in a godly marriage are so complementary. They work so well together. Now, I know some men that are more nurturing, and that's okay. And I know some women that are more, I was going to say defensive, but that's not the right word, uh, that are more protective. And that's okay. But in nature, we understand that there's, listen, guys and girls, uh, there are differences between men and women. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry that a lot of the world doesn't think that, that you can infer who you want to be, but it just goes against the natural law of order that God created. And I'm not trying to be critical if someone has sexual dysphoria, and I think the church has got to do a much better job of loving people where they are and bringing them into the kingdom. But I just want to say to you, men are men and women are women. And God made it that way. Amen. Oh, there was some amens. I like it. <laughs> so husbands, take the bullet. Yes, if you have to. But understand that most of us will never be faced with that choice. What we will be faced with is every day the chance to lay down your life for your bride. You'll get that opportunity every day, multiple times a day. You might be brave enough to take a bullet, but are you brave enough to lay down your life every single day? Paul tells us what this looks like. He says, Christ presented to himself a bride of splendor without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And if you were to ask Jesus, this is what uh, Jeff Hemmer said. He said, if you were to ask Jesus, what sins do you hold against your bride? Jesus' answer would simply be, none of them. She has no sins. I have her sins. I took them all away. I dealt with the sins of my bride. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, his giving himself up for his bride, Jesus no longer sees anything wrong with her. In the same way, husbands, love your wives. <clears throat> Let me catch my breath. Get this frog out of my throat. Husband, if you want to be the head of your house, if you want to be the leader of your home, then do what Jesus did. In your marriage, anything your wife does that is wrong cannot, should not be added to a list of grievances that you have tallied up and held against her. Love doesn't do that. 
Just look at 1 Corinthians 13. It means that everything she does that is wrong now belongs to you. That's what Jesus did. Right? Hello? Anyone? Did Jesus do that for us, his bride? Likewise, husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for them. Everything she does that's wrong now belongs to you, and you, you pay for them, not her. If she's yours, her sins are yours too. I know this is messing with some of you. It messed with me. I feel conviction just talking about it. Because I realize that I've got some work to do. And so do you. Now, I don't think it's ever a good idea to compare which one has the more difficult role. <laughs> That's not smart. But it, it, and it's going to take the Holy Spirit, by the way, for any of this to happen. <laughs> for any of this to work, it requires the filling of the Holy Spirit to submit or to give yourself fully and lay yourself down. It takes the Holy Spirit to do this. And this is why we can't do it in our own strength. But when we have the filling of the Holy Spirit, as Paul talked about, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That goes for all of these instructions and parameters he's laying out. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and then power will help you walk it out in long obediences every single day. If a husband better understood what Paul is saying and actually did it, then I have a feeling that his wife would actually have an easier time submitting to her own husband. If her husband is genuinely Christ-like, she knows that nothing will ever be held against her, which is how Christ treats his bride. Then submitting to her husband will be the safest place for her to be. Of course, the problem is, is there's only one perfect husband, and it's not Will. <laughs> or any of the rest of us sitting in here. It's Jesus. And as Hemmer says, the rest of us are just muddling along, doing the best we can. <clears throat> but that doesn't keep Paul from painting this target that we're to aim at. Our ideal is that we might continue to take off the old self and put on the new self and more fully love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the model, and that's what I'm going to live towards. Husbands, if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you have been called, this must be your regular, daily pattern. And it's going to require a lifetime of choices. And it's going to require ongoing repentance and asking for forgiveness and committing anew, afresh, yourself to Jesus and his way and to loving your wife more than you love yourself. So I'd like to just, well, you can get the tar and feathers ready because the parade should start shortly. But I'm going to line up with what God's word says. I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, that's the word of the Lord. And I believe with all grace that that's what God is saying to us. Husbands and wives, we've got work to do. I close with this prayer derived from Psalm 139. 
Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. My lovely submitted wife is going to now come (laughs) and correct anything that I said wrong. (laughs) Just teasing. (laughs) No. Gosh, that was so much. I think it's important to to remember what Chris said at the beginning, which is regardless of which role you play and whether you are single or married, the laying down our lives for one another is something that we are all required to do. And so although that was a very um, strong word to men, the concept of not counting each other's sins against them. It's universal. It's universal. It's the ministry of reconciliation that we're being asked to perform every day. That's right. So I just want to read a little bit um, out of the message in 2 Corinthians. Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. Now is the right time to listen and the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our posts, alertly and unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when things are going well, and when they're not, when we're working, when we're resting, when we're loving, when we're struggling, when we're worshiping, when we're blamed, when we're slandered, when we're misunderstood, when we're honored, when we're ignored, when we are distrusted and despised. Having nothing and yet having it all. If you feel that there is a smallness, it comes from within you. Your lives are not small, but you may be living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would open our lives to the power of the gospel in whatever sphere we find ourselves in, that we would be compelled to lay down our lives for one another and not count our sins against us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us the way, not just in your word and in your will, but by giving us our example, Jesus, who not only showed us how to do it, but has provided everything we need to accomplish it, that we can lay down our lives, that we can offer forgiveness 
instead of a list of sins or wrongs or offenses. That we can love well, continuously, in spite of changes in circumstances, because you are unchanging. So, Father, we do open up our hearts for you to write your word and your will on them. Yes, Lord. That you would have your way in each of us individually and then together corporately. That we might be members of your bride. Mm. And we might be on display for your glory. And that we might extend the kingdom today with our very lives. Yes, Jesus. Help our marriages, God. Heal broken hearts. Poor lines of communication. Bring us to a place of clarity, but also sacrifice. Bring us to a place of restored um, vigor in how we love each other. I pray for every husband and wife, every single adult, and their devotion to you. I pray, Father, that each of us will take seriously your words and let them shape and mold us, even break us and remake us. And I ask, Lord, that what you're doing in our marriages and families and our lives in our workplaces, in the schools that our kids go to, in the neighborhoods we live in, in all the places we live, that our lives, not because we're perfect, but because Christ is at work within us, the hope of our glory, that we would be on display for people to see. And it would inspire them. Like when Molly and Anna went to university and Maria was inspired, saw something, was brought into fellowship with you. Lord, help us to live those kinds of lives, I pray. In Jesus' name.